This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Robert Nolan, welcome to the Courage Cast. Hey, thanks for having me. It is so cool because I saw you, let's say, maybe it was four years ago. I got, I got exposed, maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, about you, that time. You came and you did a, a men's event and you were the, the keynote speaker at a men's event that uh, at our church. Yeah. And uh, I think we got together for lunch right after that because I did. was so impacted by your message. We did. Uh, tell everyone the title of your book and because you talked a lot about uh, with men's issues, and you tell me about your book a little bit. Okay, uh, I wrote a book in 2010. Um, it's still pretty active. It's called The Knight's Code, and um, years ago, I wanted a vehicle to help men uh, just wrap their heads around a, a creed or a code to live by. And I found Alfred Lord Tennyson, who wrote all the poems about uh, the Knights of the Round Table. Uh, he has a in one of the the poems that he has. He talks about a young man named Gareth who came to his mom and dad and said. Uh, hey, it's time for me to leave home and go out and seek my fortune, which at that time meant you might not ever see your kid again. Yeah. And so uh, they said, well, what are you going to do? And he told him you wanted to go be a knight at King Arthur's table. But he said he said uh, to to follow the king, uh, to live pure, speak true, right, wrong, and follow the king elsewhere for born. Basically, if not for this, why else am I here? Mm. And man, I just really latched onto that. And and been able to teach men live pure, speak true, right, wrong, and follow the king. Uh-huh. And uh, regardless of a guy's paradigm, religious paradigm, and whatever, there's something about all that that speaks to men. And so, wrote a book around that. Have a men's conference built around that, and it seems to uh, continue to resonate with guys. Yeah, no, I, it still resonates with me. I, I subscribe to your your emails and uh, your blogs. They're they're really impactful. They they speak. It's almost like there's very few messages that I'll open up emails right away. But mm. when I get the Knights Code email, more than not, I will jump to that because I, I want to hear what Robert, what you have to say mm. to me and what you, you know what God's saying to you. And there's yeah. some great stories and great analogies in there. I highly yeah. recommend anybody who uh, would want to go to the Knights Code. Yeah, the thenightscode.com. Yeah. 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 I kind of think of myself as the uh, Jerry Seinfeld of <laughs> Christian men stuff because <laughs> Jerry Jerry was the master of finding a normal everyday thing and making it funny. Yeah. And I try to find normal everyday things and make a spiritual point with them. Yeah. That's kind, well, of, that's kind of my deal. They're amusing though as well, you well, know, there's spiritual points like I remember the fireplace. Oh wow, yeah. Analogy yeah. and the waffle. Yeah. Um, do you want to share any of those or anything? Well, we'll have to get into some deep stuff there if we do. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe not. So let's tease them with it. Let's tease them with it. <laughs> look, up, I think you can probably find it on YouTube or something. Oh, yeah, too, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have to look it up. Well, anyway, Robert, you talk to men a lot. Okay. Uh, th- that's um, something that you seem to be the go to guy for. <laughs> so, what's the? what are some of the biggest things that men. Like what's the what's the problem with men these days? What what are our you know why are we so screwed up? <laughs> well, I I really think of a really key thing here, and I know it's going to sound like I'm being um, pitching to your your whole podcast topic here and an overview when I say this, but I really think one of the reasons I really wanted to do this with you is courage. Yeah, I, I think I think the the antithesis of 
of courage is fear. And I think I think there's something about fear in this culture on almost every level. I mean, even when you watch the news, it just invokes fear today. Yeah, uh, you know, everything is breaking news and it's horrible. Yeah, and um, and so we live in that environment. And then I think just um, economically and other ways, we're kind of taught to be afraid, be very afraid, mm-hmm. and it just starts permeating us. But we're the ones that everybody looks to that you're supposed to be strong, you're supposed to have the answers, but we're all scared. I feel like it all happened like when nine eleven happened. There was something for mm-hmm. me in mm-hmm. my heart. I was, sure. what was I, early 30s mm-hmm. when that happened. And it just rocked my world. It shook sure. me. Sure. That was for me. You talk about world events. Mm-hmm. And then and then the internet opened up so much access to information and yep. news. And, yep. and we were constantly feeding ourselves with this news yep. that yeah. it... It had an effect on us. Well, I think uh, probably one of the reasons why 9-11 was so impactful to all of us is something happened we didn't think could happen. And I think that translates from uh, a country all the way down to our lives. If all of a sudden something happens in your life that you didn't suspect would happen, somebody somebody gets a terminal illness, a, a spouse suddenly walks in and says, I'm leaving and surprises you. It's like the plane going into the tower in your yeah. life, you know, and, and suddenly everything is rocked. And so it rocked all of us with that event. But I think we also have to be aware that um, those same things happen in our lives that create fear, that create uh, the, the the dire need for courage in our lives. Mm. And that's a huge, that's a huge thing. So, um, yeah, I talk to guys a lot about fear. And, and I think one of the things that I'm always amazed at, no matter when I go uh, teach and do my conference, is no matter what economic level, what what race I'm speaking to. I did a uh, I did one in South Carolina recently where it was predominantly an African American rural area, and um, and so whether I'm in a rich area, rural area, whatever I'm in, I see the same things resonating with men, and that is every guy thinks he's an island. Mm. It's like my issues, my stuff, my flaws, my sins, my temptations. Nobody else has those with me. Or if they do, I'm way worse. Mm. And it's amazing to teach guys and to talk to guys about issues. And they look around and start realizing all the other guys are listening. All the other guys are are giving feedback to understand that, oh, I'm not the only person in the room that struggles with this. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not the only person that feels this way or is afraid. I think one of the key answers to that for men is for guys to open up and talk to other guys. Mm. That's such a key. I mean, even in men's ministries and churches today are so often based around, let's get together and eat <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Like, right. But by, by all means, do not talk. <laughs> and that's what Preoccupy we got to do. Preoccupy yourself with yeah, something. But that's what we got to do. We've got to talk. Um, you know, I learned years ago from a counselor, because I'm really an introvert that's had to be extroverted for what I do, but I'm in, by nature an introvert, is the counselor told me, sit down with your wife in a quiet time where she knows it's your turn to talk and start telling her, figure, just start talking. Mm-hmm. Like you may not even know what's wrong. You may not know what's going on, but just start talking. And it's amazing when you when you make an appointment to speak, so yeah. to speak, whether uh-huh. it's with a buddy or your wife or whoever, the stuff that'll come out of a man's heart and mind that um, that you didn't even know was there. And I have a um, a guy that I wrote a book with uh, several years ago. His name is Randy Frazee. He's a uh, pastor in Texas. He he has a great uh, thing that he teaches. He said, you know, stuff all starts in our mind. 
And what happens is a fear or, or a, a, an idea or a thought comes into our mind. And if it's really bad, if it's really negative, it's poisoning to us. And we let it roll around in there long enough, it'll seep down into our heart and eventually poison us. Mm. And it poisons our heart. It's how people get bitter. Mm. Um, but he said that God made a natural release valve in between the brain and the heart called the mouth. <laughs> and if you can let it come out your mouth instead of going into your heart, it's you're less likely to be poisoned in your life. Yeah. That's such a great way to explain the need for us to communicate and talk and and talk about our fears and talk about our doubts and talk about our struggles and get them out before they poison our heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so important. I have a group of guys that I meet with. Um, I try to meet with every Monday. It ends up being about twice a month. Sure. But um, – and it's all free reign. There is mm-hmm. nothing I can't say, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that uh, is judged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just like gives me an opportunity to get the poison that's in <laughs> yeah. my head that I've allowed to entertain. Sure. You know, and be, and it's amazing the stuff those guys come and bring, mm-hmm. you know, is most of the stuff I've thought or done sure. or whatever, sure. you know, as well. Sure. So, there's no judgment there. And yeah. it's such a freeing yes. thing to get it out. You're right. Get it out of your mouth. Yep. There's some things, though, I'll tell you, Robert, I can't say those things, some things to my wife. Sure. Because that hurts her. Sure. It'll hurt her. Or it right? creates fear for her. It creates fear for her. Exactly. So uh, I'm grateful that I have the men to talk to because they're not afraid. It's mm-hmm. not affecting them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's going to make them afraid. Um, yeah. Or, But they're, they've got their own fears to deal with. Sure. You know, right? Sure. And we always have new fears we're dealing with, but we also have the old ones. And it's funny how we'll have to keep repeating some of the old ones to get them eventually out. But some things we can deal with once and they're done. It's like a splinter. Mm. You know, it either you get it out really quick or you let it be in there and fester. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You deal with the pain, Mm -hmm. a little bit of the pain to get it out. Yep. I used to get these huge splinters when I was, I I used to walk the boardwalk in New Jersey. Oh yeah. That's where I grew up. Mm Mm-hmm. Those were some huge suckers, man. They were like big, brown, black, tar, tar-infested. Yeah. Anyway, that has nothing to do with our conversation. Yeah, well, we get those in our heart, too. Yeah, that's true. It's true. So men are wrestling with courage. Mm-hmm. Let's talk more about that. Okay. What? What? Do you have a kind of a story or an anecdote that you can kind of relate to this? Because uh, I was talking to Tim Worley. The, this episode is going to be right after my conversation with Tim Worley the okay. week later. And Tim mentioned that one of the biggest problems with men is being passive. Yeah, absolutely. We are passive Yeah, yeah. with the world around us. Because I find when I'm passive, it's because I'm afraid. I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it's just as well that I just don't talk about it because it yeah. will cause more problems. In yeah, my life. if you talk about it, it might make it real. <laughs> yeah, it might make it real. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I what I'm about to share, I think um, it's easy for us, especially uh, anybody who has a, a religious paradigm or a church paradigm, to kind of turn it off as soon as you start saying this. But I, when I teach this to guys and I talk about it, it always resonates on a different level because there's pieces of this story we don't ever deal with. And, and that is Genesis chapter 3. Um, there's some aspects of that that you hardly ever hear, and, and that's this, is that so, so God decides to make Adam. And hey, even if you don't believe the Bible— 
I'm going to explain to you why men are passive, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so God decides to make Adam. Mm-hmm. Eve is not around yet. And whenever, after he makes Adam, he says, okay, look, I've got this incredible garden here. I've got all these animals. I've got all these things that I've made. They're all yours. Like You can, you can, you can do whatever you want. Um, you're going to help me name them. There's a lot of cool stuff that's going to go on here. You're going to work this place. There's just one rule I have. There's this one tree that I just don't want you to mess with the tree. Why did God even create that tree? That's it. And and so and so he tells him the one rule, one rule. And he says, just don't do that, but you can do everything else. Everything else. Every stinking thing else. Everything else. And so, so – he tells him the rule, and then he says, hey, um, it's not good that you're alone. You don't have one of exactly your kind, even though you and I can fellowship. So I'm going to make you a helper. So he takes, he takes a rib, and he forms Eve from Adam. And so we don't have Im- any biblical knowledge at all that Eve was told the rule by God. Now, I don't know. We don't know if maybe he pulled her aside later. We don't know if he's, he just said, Adam— you're you're in charge here, so you tell her. But the bottom line is, we aren't told that. That is not what's in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, here comes God's enemy, and he decides he's not going to go after the one that's the leader. He's going to go after the one that's supposed to be that was made second. It was supposed to be the follower, and so he comes at, at Eve and begins to manipulate her. Now. What we're always taught in the culturally and biblically is, oh, that Eve, if she just hadn't made this choice, if she hadn't have been weak, she hadn't have done this, well, listen to this part. And if you're, if you're a lady listening to this, you're going to want to tune into this. This is important. Is what happened is when the, when the enemy showed up and comes at Eve, God's intention was for Adam to take charge, yes. to step up, to get in between the serpent and between Eve and say, wait a minute. No, we're choosing God. You get out of here, and I'm protecting her. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to trust God. So get out of here. That was the intention. Right. So that's not what happened. Now, no, where was Adam? He yeah, was lounging well, on the couch Well, somewhere. the Scripture says, and when you read the Scripture, whatever version you want to choose to read, it says, after she took of the fruit, she handed it to her husband because he was right there with her. That's what it says. He was right there with her. And when I tell a group of men that the only action, when all this went down and what God intended, the only action that Adam took was he ate. Hmm. Now, how often do you have a group of men and they're sitting around a boardroom or a conference room and they're trying to solve the problems of the world and the first thing they're thinking about is, where do you guys want to eat lunch? I mean, you know, let's go grab donuts. I mean, so often the only action we take as men is like, I'm hungry. Let's go eat. You know, and so it's, so it's funny you tell a group of men, you know, the only action that Adam took was to eat. Mm. And so the, the bottom line of that is, is that that right there, because of sin entering, uh, created a, a DNA switch that caused us to be passive, mm-hmm. to be the natural thing for us to not step up and, and and go against the enemy, to not step up and protect our wives, to not step up and to obey God, to do the exactly the opposite. So the cool thing is, and the redeeming part is, it's so cool that Paul in the New Testament referred to Jesus at one point as the second Adam. Sometimes it's, it's, it's translated as the last Adam to say that, that God put Jesus in the exact same situation, mm-hmm. but he did everything. He got in between the serpent and his bride, the church. Yeah. He obeyed God, 
and he he stopped it all. In fact, he brought it all the way through to be finished and redeemed. So every day when men get up, yeah, and we put our feet on the floor. We have a choice: are we going to be the first Adam or the second Adam? Yeah, that's our choice. Yeah, passive or active, right? Uh, fearful or courageous. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, there's there's probably more days than I am the first Adam. Right. Honestly, sure. Well, it's our nature. Uh, yeah, it's our to be nature. That way. But we do have the choice, and that's mm-hmm. the great thing about it. Mm-hmm. And and every day, every moment, that choice of Christ, that choice of the second Adam, is right there in every moment. And the the amazing thing about grace and redemption is, if we blow it and we're the first Adam five minutes ago in a decision, the next decision that comes up, we have a chance to switch it and get it right. Right, we do. Yeah, we do. We have the chance to repent. We have the chance to surrender. Yep. Say, all right. I'm going to step up mm-hmm. and be that second Adam. But but how do you, um, you know, uh, that's a whole other question of does the Spirit of God come inside of us mm-hmm. when we receive Christ? Holy Spirit is in us. Mm-hmm. So now we have been made clean. God sees us in a whole new way, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Am I right on that? Sure, yeah. Um, so how do we, what's how do we be strong? How do we be the second Adam? Yeah. You know, what is that? What does that look like? It's great that we have the choice and that's hopeful. There's always hope that we sure. have the choice, sure. but then there's the actions. Mm-hmm. What, what makes a man yeah. become more easily like the second Adam? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a great practical question. Well, let me, let me give it this analogy. If somebody tells me, um, you know what? To be highly successful and to do the right thing, you need to be like Eric Nordoff. Mm-hmm. You need to do whatever it is he does. You should do it. Whatever choices he makes, you should make that. You should do what he does. The only way I'm going to know how to do that is to spend a lot of quality time with Eric Nordoff. Yeah, right. right. If I call you for five minutes a week, I'm like, hey, bud, what would you do here? And then go on and live my life. It's not going to happen. If I come by and see you 10 minutes a week, it's not going to happen. If I, if I say, hey, every Sunday morning, Eric, I'm going to go hang out with you for an hour. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm still not going to know. So the way we're going to be second Adam is to spend time with Christ. And I think that sometimes we think of that as he's only in church or he's only in the time I sit down with my Bible. And I think the important thing to understand is, is that because you mentioned the Holy Spirit living in us, the reason that was sent at all, that, that that aspect of the Godhead was sent at all, was to be in us and live in us so that we could commune and, and be a companion of Christ right. all the time. Yeah. And so that's how we know the choice. The more we get to know him, the more we know what he, what he would do. And also, the funny thing is, the more we're going to care mm. to do what he wants us to do. Yeah. What if you've just, you're so overwrought with shame. Mm. You are so, you feel so terrible about something you've done that you just can't see how God can make that all right. Yeah. It's repair a, that and redeem that. Actually, it, the interesting thing about you asking that question is I deal with that the very first thing in my men's conference. When I, I'll do my men's conference lasts for four or five hours. And the, one of the very first things I deal with is this. Um, let's just let's go ahead and be specific. What I talk about first in my men's conference is purity because mm-hmm. that's a huge struggle for the vast majority of guys. So that we deal with that first. And, you know, if we're not pure in our hearts or we don't make the decision to attempt to be pure, 
truth and righteousness and all those things aren't going to be an issue at all either. So you have guys that say, you know what? I just do this. It's just a part of me. I'm just always going to do this. And they just resign themselves to that, which creates greater and greater shame and regret because the right. more you're involved with something, the more you don't even fight it, the more you feel bad that you don't fight it. But Mark 10, 27 says that with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Mm. So if if there's anything in your life that you say, I can't do this, I can't overcome this, I can't, uh, I can't get over my shame, then what you're actually, we think that we're saying something about ourselves, mm. we're actually making a declaration about Christ. We're saying, he can't do this in my life. And when we turn that on ourselves and, and realize, like, no, stop thinking that's about you. Start realizing that what you're declaring is there's something in the world Jesus can't do. Yeah. And so if you can wrap your heart around the fact of, no, I don't believe that. I believe there's he can do all things, mm. and I can do all things through Christ. Then we have to believe that we're making our shame about us. We're making our regret about us. Because if, if Christ has redeemed us, then he said, I, I know you sinned. But you've called on my name. You've asked me forgiven. I've forgiven you. I washed you clean. You have it's to that believe easy. that. It's yeah. that easy. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Why do we make it so hard on ourselves? Because we know we're going to do it again. And we know that um, – and, and we're passive. Yeah. Now, the passivity in us – also causes us to go throw up our hands and just go, well, you know what? I'm just going to do it again. Or, yeah. you know what? That's going to happen again. This battle is too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. Which is exactly how we play into the hands That's of the That's what the enemy, enemy wants us exactly. to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just give up, dude. It's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're making an agreement with the enemy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And is yeah. that what you really want? Yeah. No, you don't. Right. So you rise up. So what I'm hearing you saying mm-hmm. is you rise up. I rise up mm-hmm. and I start to declare the truth of God's word over my life. Exactly. And begin to believe it. Yeah. And because obviously I haven't been fully believing it because I've made it about me. Sure. And so now it's a matter of then once, once that is begin begins, I see it kind of like a momentum Mm -hmm. shift, you know, once that momentum gets going, then it becomes, it seems like it would become more easy to, commune with God. And I think as men, we find it really hard to commune with God. We find it hard to to have, because we didn't have that, maybe we didn't have intimacy right. with our fathers. Right. Yeah. So it's awkward. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. awkward. Well, and in my own life, my, uh, didn't have a strong relationship with my dad. My dad was um, addicted to prescription drugs and died as, at an, with an overdose when I was 19. Mm. And so, you know, there's a lot about in- intimacy that I did not get. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, I've got this paradigm of getting older and wanting to live the Christian life. It's supposed to be intimate with a God that I can't see when I struggle with being intimate with a dad that I could. Yeah. And so for me, that's been a constant, I've had to work at it. And you say, well, that sounds funny to say I work at being intimate. But you know, if something is important to us, we know we need it, then, then we have to work on that. We have yeah. to keep doing it. What that. does it look like for you? For me, uh, man, here is one of the things that, that again, we just don't tend to teach in our churches, regardless of, of our of our religious paradigms, is we teach prayer, but the average, particularly American, uh, is who's very busy, who's going to commit time to prayer, uh, we sit down and we rip off a laundry list of things that we want God to do or, or, or bless us with or, or stop or whatever. And essentially, if we'll be honest about it, 
we start treating him like a cosmic Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm going to sit on your lap. I'm going to tell you my list, and then I'm expecting to deliver. Okay, right. And one of the things that I've I've adopted into my life is is time for listening. Hmm. Is uh, and I would challenge anybody who prays to say, do this. Um, let's just say you're going to pray for 15 minutes. Pray for 10. Spend the last five praying the prayer of Samuel, which Samuel said, speak, Lord, for I am listening. Mm. And um, and I tell everybody, I don't male or female, you're going to feel weird for a while when you do that. You're gonna, I'm just going to sit there and listen. But here's the thing. Once God sees you're serious and you really want to hear from him and not just talk at him, he's going to start speaking to you. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that. Once you learn that he will speak to you in that time, then that helps you understand that your entire life, when you get up from that couch or that chair in the morning and you hit your life until the time you go to bed at night, you're more apt to talk to him and he's you're, you're teaching yourself to listen to him. Mm-hmm. So you're more likely to hear him. I just believe with all my heart that God has things he wants to tell us at two o'clock on Tuesday, mm-hmm. at four at four o'clock on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But so often we are not listening. Yeah. We just, we're so busy and we, we get to our phone and we'll look Mm. at this. Um, you know, it's, it's a, that's a whole nother topic is social media and and what it, what it's doing to us. Sure. But but those are all, you're talking about distractions. Yeah. What I'm talking about is creating an attraction Mm. is, is an attraction of, I want to hear what my God has to say. I mean, you think about our marriages, if we say, hey, honey, I'm going to give you five minutes to talk to me every single day, like it's a big deal. <laughs> and and you can say anything you want to say in that five minutes. Well, when you put it in that sense, you go, well, you wouldn't have a very good marriage. But I'm at least trying to encourage you. If you never talk to your wife or never listen to your wife, just to allow five minutes would be a good first would step. Would be a good first step. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same thing with, with God. You yeah. know, Give him a shot at talking to you. Yeah, that's good. It's encouraging. I like that. So um, you've said to me that one of the things that you are seeing in men is sort of a a phase two of insecurity or yeah. um, a lack of direction and confidence. Kind of, you know, we, we deal with that in our early 20s, mm-hmm. but then there's sort of this other time, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm right in it. I feel like I'm right in it where... What what are the ne- what am I going to do next in my life? Yeah, you know yeah. I'm 46. Mm-hmm. I think men get you know be- like you were saying to me between the ages of you know get close to 50. Mm-hmm. You start to realize, hmm, what have I been doing? Yeah, my whole time, and yeah. maybe there's some regrets there mm-hmm. or uh, all kinds of insecurities. Sure. Some people call it what do they call it the midlife crisis? Midlife crisis, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So share about that. Sure. I'm really curious about that. Sure, yeah. Well, I think. When something happens to us or we have a realization and walk through a journey, it just makes us far more likely to see it in others, even if they don't see it. So um, so I was on the road with music for 10 years from from age uh, around 20 to 30. Got off the road. Went you to were a singer-songwriter? Yeah, yeah. Drummer. and oh, did, drummer. Did, Producer. Did everything. Wrote. Did everything. everything you you know, had you real had, long hair back then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the mullet, actually. I was in that era. Oh, yeah, mullet, yeah, I, just, oh. I, I just dated myself. They aren't coming back, but you know, maybe maybe they will. <clears throat> Billy Ray Cyrus just uh, celebrated his 
25th anniversary or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's how Aiky, old break they your are. Heart. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, then I started working for a, a parachurch ministry, a, a nonprofit, and found myself within just a few years uh, running the entire thing, every aspect of it, and got on that track. And it was great. I don't have any regrets about what I chose to do. And I was doing something that was very helpful to people. Um, we produced resources that went literally all over the world. And then I began to be able to write those, which uh, led me into my career I have now. But you began, you began to what those? To write. Right. To, to write the materials as well. Okay. So, so every aspect of the whole thing. So uh, fast forward to uh, starting when I was around 30. I'm now 50. I've been doing this for 20 years. In you know, in one way it felt like a long 20 years. Another way, it's that weird thing where you go, like, "Wow, where did 20 years go?" You know, uh-huh. I did this while my kids are growing up. Well, I think for a lot of us, especially especially men, this is going to be true absolutely of, of women as well. There's just something about when you start raising a family that so much of your life becomes about your kids and your family that you just think about digging in. And doing what you got to do to make a living for your family, which you should. You mm-hmm. take care of everything. your family. That's your your focus. For me, um, you know, my guys were in high school. One was in college. I'm two sons that are adults now. And um, this was I'm 57. This was this was uh, seven years ago when I was 50. I looked around and realized uh, I've been doing this a long time. I actually realized I was bored. And I think that's a huge thing for a lot of men is they realize they're bored but they don't want to admit it. They've kind of been there, done that. They're, they're good at it. They're good at whatever they do. You know, they say if you've done something for 20 years or 10,000 hours or whatever it is, yeah. that you're an expert at it, which I believe is true. Um, and it's funny because I think a lot of men, when they start getting bored, also start to get in trouble. Yes. Uh, and so that's why you hear about guys leaving their wives and they're, you know, they've been married 20 years or 30 years or whatever, or are they just, are they just left one day or whatever they do? Guys get bored and they don't know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, working for a ministry and, and being a Christian, uh, I really wasn't seeing it. I was feeling it. I was thinking it, but I wasn't seeing it. And God started tapping me on the shoulder. And this is exactly what he said. He goes, um, Robert, you're coasting. Mm-hmm. And I kept wondering why God was using the word coasting. And finally I realized if you're in your car and you slip it into neutral, the brakes work fine, but the gas doesn't work. <laughs> I love your analogies. So so I realized, okay, no, that was God's, believe me. So, yeah. so I was like, okay, okay, God, so you're telling me that I can hit the brakes on anything, anytime, anywhere I want, which is what I'm doing a lot, but I'm also revving that engine and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. But it looks like I am because I'm still in the same car I've been in for 20 years. Right. So and you're moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not going near as fast as you were when you were 30 or 40 right, or whatever. Right. Uh-huh. So all of those things are going on. So it, it took a couple of years to process all of this and to pray through it and, you know, scared to death the whole time. But our family, long story short, um, ended up uh, praying about uh, pulling up stakes and really starting over. Now, you know, a lot of families will do that or something will happen with something dire happens. Like we got to start over because uh, somebody had an affair and you got to move to a new place or your kid did this or whatever. Like none of those things happen in our lives. We just knew it was time to, that God was calling us to a new place. Right. I didn't quite understand how much that was for me. But what happened was I literally left a six-figure job where I got a check every two weeks very secure. Nobody was unhappy with me. 
Everybody at the ministry was happy with me. I was doing a job that, honestly, the president would have loved for me to die there. I mean, that would have been fine with him. He and I both um, just thought we would always be together. Um, nobody was unhappy with anything. But, you were unhappy. But though. I was unhappy, and so was God. Mm. That I wasn't. He wasn't happy with me, but he knew that I wasn't doing the, my potential and everything he created me to do. Yeah. He didn't make me to coast. He didn't make you to coast. Mm. Um, so... Uh, we ended up leaving. We moved here to Franklin, to suburb of Nashville, uh, near you. Yes. And uh, that's how we We met. won't give away this exact location. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have stalkers. It's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah. And so just began the very difficult, hard, but yet very, very good transition of, I call it reinvention, because, and I know it's not a, a term that I can coin because it's been used by a lot of people, but I believe that's what it is. I believe that um, there are points in our life where we have to have the guts and the bravery and the courage to decide, I need to reinvent. I need to make a new start. Is it hard? Yes. But I can tell you it's been worth it. And what's funny is this is a town in Nashville. This is a town that's full of people who reinvent. Yes. It's full of creatives. It's full of, uh, I mean, uh, I've become a, a full-time writer and author since I've been here, which was my dream all along. I mean, the one thing I did that I absolutely loved for 20 years was write. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, that that's what God had waiting for me. I often wonder, had I just ignored him, if I'd have said, well, um, God thanks a lot, but I'll just keep getting the paycheck and stay here and keep coasting. I would have never experienced the incredible things I've been offered and allowed to write that I've been able to do. So I think so often the fear causes us to say, what bad thing is going to happen if I do that? I think a better question is, what incredible thing am I missing? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's funny how we don't think that way. No, we don't. Especially at, we think that way when we're young. Yeah. More likely. Sure. Because we have this great adventurous life out in front of us. We don't know better. Yeah. But we have now 50 mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. and we've we've seen that it's tough. Yeah. yeah. What if I don't recover? Yeah. You know, what if I can't do it again? Yeah. I think for me, I'll just speak for me, it's, it's more of what, it's kind of a test for me of what am I made of? Can I really do, you know, I've yeah. built a successful business or two. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some success. Yeah. Can I do it again? Yeah. Or can I do it even bigger? Yeah. Because yeah. I have in my heart to write a book or yeah. many books, mm -hmm. actually. The, yeah. the reason I started this podcast because I was scared to death. It's something that was just in my heart to do. I yeah. had to do it. It makes yeah. me come alive. It's my favorite thing I do every day is sitting and talking with you or I get a I get a download of some amazing truth that yeah. for me is like a new, just a new way of looking at it. Sure. It's exciting. Sure. You know, it's it's what makes me come alive. Sure. It's the way I want to express myself. I think a big question we have to ask ourselves is, have I stopped growing? Have I stopped learning? Mm. And if we're honest and realize, yeah, I'm not, I haven't grown in a long time. You know, a plant is either growing or dying. You can't look at any plant at any stage and go, it's just in a neutral place. It's never that. It's always moving. It's always moving. It's always either growing or dying. And to go back to your original question, one of the things I've, I've found is now that I've, I've been around this, I've encountered a lot of men uh, between 45 and 55 who 
are at that place. They've been doing something for a very long time. They may have even done it for for a number of different people or companies, but they've been doing the same type of career. They've been there, done that, and they get laid off or their their company says, hey, we may be restructuring. We may not need you. There's something, and it creates this horrible place. And and I've been able to encourage guys like, wow, what if you I – can, I can give you a great example. Sitting with a friend of mine who'd been doing – he's still only around 40, but he started doing what he was doing when he was 20. So he'd been at his career for 20 years. Mm-hmm. He had done every single aspect of his particular career at one point or another, and he's unemployed at this point. And I said, you know what? Rather than go look for another job doing one of those things, what if you started your own company and offered yourself to consult on all those things? Mm-hmm. And he's really practical. He's got a, he's got a lot of kids. <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he said – when we were done with the conversation, he said, "You know what? I, I think I want to try this." And I you said, did? "Yeah." I said, "I said, look, go get a go go sign on to Squarespace or somewhere. Get you a twenty dollars website. Build you a website with your name dot com. Go to go to VistaPrint. Spend twenty bucks on business cards. The worst thing you're going to do is lose twenty bucks a month. Yeah, but go build it and see if they come. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um and he's doing it." But he's making he's making himself a consultant for his industry because he's learned to do all those things. So now all of a sudden he sells his time and his experience, not his showing up at an office in his labor. Right. And it's which is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. How many of us would love to be able to monetize our experience to people just by sharing what we've already learned rather than have to keep punching the clock and doing the exact same thing? Yeah. Because it it makes you it makes you uh, a deal with fear like you're coming mm-hmm. against the thing that you're afraid of mm-hmm. and somehow that invigorates a man yeah uh, we can only speak as we're both men yeah maybe it doesn't do the same for women maybe maybe it does but there's something that makes you come alive right yeah but it's scary man i mean what if you come down with a you know, a terminal illness and you mm-hmm. have to spend millions of dollars. I was talking to a lady uh, three episodes ago or four episodes ago or whatever it is. And she came down with stage four terminal cancer. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, sp- I'm, I'm doing the devil's advocate. Yeah. Here oh, thing. sure. Absolutely. She came down with stage four terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if she hadn't have had good insurance, you know, when you go on your own, yeah, the realities are, yeah, you, you can't get good insurance these days. Sure. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> or you can, but you have to spend thousands of dollars sure. to get it. Well, and but we all know this is um, the word benefits keeps shrinking. I mean, I know guys been work, put in thirty years somewhere and got the pink slip, lost their pension, uh, the company faltered, and the, it, what he worked for thirty years isn't there anymore. Right. Or um, so or, nothing's really guaranteed, right? Yeah, nothing's guaranteed. And guys that think they have incredible insurance policies might not find out they're incredible until you use them. Right. So I you know, I just think that <clears throat> it's not quite as black and white anymore, um, the last ten to twenty years for sure, as it used to be in in all of those things. There's just it's harder to get guarantees on anything. I heard somebody say that um you're never gonna be more than eighty percent sure of anything before you make a decision. <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe you said it. Somebody I know told it me, me that. but it's right. Somebody told me that. Yeah. Said you just got to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't yeah. you can't stop keep dilly dallying and analyzing and making one more spreadsheet to yeah. make sure it's the right decision. I have a lot of people say to me like, okay, so so I really have a passion to do X, but I've been doing X for twenty years. I am not going to be the guy or the or the lady who just just walks in and quits and takes off and does that. What do I do? What I say is figure out a starting point for your passion somewhere. Um, I talk to people all the time that tell me like, well, I want to, I want to be a writer. I want to write a book or I'll say, I want to talk to you about my book. This happens to a lot. I get on the phone with somebody who wants to talk about how to self publish a book. We'll start talking. They'll tell me all about this incredible book. They'll tell me the title. They'll tell me everything about it. And I'll say, how much of this have you written? And they'll go, Oh, I, I've never sat down to write any of this. This is all just in my head. That happens all the time. Uh-huh. Here's what I tell them. Stop talking about it. Find a time during your week, even if it's 30 minutes. If 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 your best time is 10.30 on Wednesday nights till 11, sit down every night, to make an appointment, and start writing that book. Guess yeah. what? You're not going to write a book until you start typing. <laughs> That's true. So that applies to everything. Whatever it is you really have a passion to do, you want to do, figure out a way to make an appointment to do that thing once a week for some length of time, because you're not going to start building it until you begin. Right. Yeah. There's just, there's a a sense of uh, confidence gets built when you, when you take action sure. and you fail or you, 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 you take steps in the right direction. Um, yeah. You know, I always make this comparison, but babies aren't afraid to take baby steps to learn how to walk. I mean, yeah. they just do it. They just you know? do it. It's natural. Yeah. 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 Whenever um, I decided to write my book um, in 2009. Um, the Night's I, Code? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went to my boss and I said, hey, uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to um, move to a new schedule. I'm work, uh, take Wednesdays off. I'm work Monday and Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Um, you can dock me twenty percent of my salary, and um, and if there's a crisis, if something comes up, you can contact me. But uh, but I want Wednesdays to start working on my own stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, they agreed to it, and so every Wednesday morning, instead of sitting down and going to work, uh, sitting at, I would sit down on the computer and start typing. And I wrote my first book every Wednesday, writing eight hours a day for nine months. Wow. But I had to start and I had to plan it. Yeah. And I and I made it hurt because I took a twenty percent pay cut. Right. But I knew I I knew I had to start somewhere. Yeah. But I did it. And ten months later, um I had a book ready mm-hmm. to self publish. Mm-hmm. And um and then I, I and then I started back to work full time after that. Uh-huh. Until we left in two thousand eleven. Yeah. But but those are some tips of people that say, all right, that's great. That sounds awesome. How do you do that? Well, hopefully some of this is given some practical yeah. advice of here's how you can actually do what you are what you can end up loving. Well, it sounds like you got another book in you. Uh, well, it's funny. I do. I've got several, but I keep helping everybody else write their books. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you do too? Is it kind yeah. of consult with people yeah. on that? Well, and uh, actually, you know, these days, um, this has been this way for quite a long time, but there's authors and there's writers. Yeah. 
And and today, the, the term author doesn't necessarily mean anymore that that's the person that wrote the book. What it means is that's the person with the story or the message in the platform. Yeah. But a publisher needs a writer to actually get the book done. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways that can happen. You can actually write it, help the writer, the author write the book. You can um, do it off of interviews. There's a lot of different ways. But one of the things I do for publishers is help help a book get written. Mm-hmm. And then also, one of the things I love about it is making sure that you accurately tell one story, someone's story and use their voice, not your own. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, because you, they want to be happy with their book. They don't want to be happy with my book. Yeah, so you're <laughs> writing a song for an artist. Exactly. In, it's in the, the same terms. exact paradigm. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, you know, if, if your wife, Chrissy, decides, well, hey, so-and-so is going to be cutting an album. I want to write one for her. She's got to think about that artist. And right. what does she want to say? And what mm-hmm. does she want to hear? And what's her style? She can't write Chrissy's song. She's got to write the artist's song. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Same Let's, thing. Same thing for for uh, writers with authors. Yeah. So I, but I do think you you have a, another book in you too. Yeah. And, absolutely. And still, yeah. you find time to write. You also write for um, several platforms, right? You you have regular articles that you you write on. Where else can people read about you? Um, well, the uh, the app I Disciple, I Disciple, yeah, yes, which is it's got over a million subscribers now. It's really incredible, and it's really. Uh, a great, great app to use. I mean, they have they have Christian music streaming in it. I mean, um, and teaching videos and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they they always have a hundred and fifty of my blog posts available through the app. Okay, so that's one of the places. And and yeah, they've so got, you write them for yourself, right, on right, your own website, right. and then they then they go get grab uploaded them. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they go grab them there. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, it's just it's presented a little differently, and they always have uh, some of my older ones there. That that so it's it's fun, it's funny. Sometimes I'll go look on Idisciple like, oh yeah, I remember writing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well so what so just final words here. What yeah. would you tell this uh, so you've already given the advice to the to the to, to the man. Uh, how would you summarize that forty five to fifty five year old man mm-hmm. or woman mm-hmm. that you would be speaking if you were looking to them and what what would you ins- encourage them to do if they're if they're coming to you with this I'm lost. I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm, I feel like a, a kid again trying yeah. to find my way. Well, I'll go ahead and say that male or female at any age, um, I'll close with this story, is there's a professor at Belmont that does graduate-level business courses. He has me come in and, and teach a session for him every semester on business principles. I have 15 business principles that I teach. And, um, and, but here's what I always close with is you've got graduate students. And so you've got people in there that just got their, their masters. And so they're mid to late twenties. And you've got people that have gone back to school. They're in fifties and sixties in that class. You've got a gamut of experience and ages. And, And I always close with this. We live in a time of history like no other where there are tools available to, to do work that we love that have never been available before. For me, if at 25 years ago, had I written an article that I thought was going to change the world, when I was done, I would have to go, well, am I going to send this to a magazine to see if they might want to publish it? Am I going to send this to the newspaper? Like now, right. I post it and people all over the world are reading it within a matter of hours. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing time we live in. And sure, we know how all the stuff is misused today, but let's think about all the stuff that God's put in our hands to use for for his glory and for our best. And so I would say learn the tools that are out there, take those tools and go do what 
is on your heart and passion to do. I just about bet that there's a way that whatever it is you are passionate about at whatever age you are, you can monetize that. You can figure out a way to monetize that. I, I looked at I looked square at some of these young uh, graduate students just two or three weeks ago, and I said, "Look, don't get don't get sucked into the void of just punching somebody else's clock and getting unhappy with your life. Start figuring out how you can hire yourself." Uh. And you just see their even at twenty six, twenty seven years old, you see their eyes light up like yeah. wow, like this dude has been around the block is telling me mm-hmm. that I can go do that. Yeah, I'm telling you, you can go do that because everything is available to you. The only thing that's going to stop you is you. Yes, yes, we are our own worst enemies. Yeah, for sure. Very good, good word, Robert. Um, thank you for uh, for coming on. Man, it's a pleasure. We thank never you. talked about waffles or the fireplace, but that's another discussion. Just go eat time. them. Just go eat waffles. Go eat waffles. Enjoy your waffles with syrup. Around the fireplace. Around the fireplace. <laughs> You'll have to read the book, The Knight's Code, to uh, at least grab the fireplace analogy. Yeah, think, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a good one. It's a really good one. All right. Well, thanks, Robert. Uh, again, thenightscode.com is where people can find you. It's also the name of the book. It's also the name of the book. And uh, are you at robertnolan.com as Robert well? Robertnolan.com and all of my stuff's on Amazon, too. Yeah. Just type my name into Amazon and it'll all come up. Man, we meet. I can't believe the amazing people we have living within a five-mile radius yeah. of us. yeah. I intend to talk to every amazing person I can on this podcast. <laughs> Good. And I'll figure out how to monetize it one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's very courageous of you. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you being on. Thanks a lot. <laughs>